Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. everyone, it's Jen. You know Jess and I often talk about how aloe moves helps us stay fit. But May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I really wanted to point out how amazing the site and app are for mental health as well. It is so easy for me to get stuck in a rut mentally or get stressed out or feel lonely when I'm working from home. I'm guessing you've all been there too. But I found that a much more productive way to deal with those feelings, or even just like a bad day, is to hop on alomoves.com and reset. Allo Moves is the award-winning on-demand streaming wellness platform app and website that has workouts, mindfulness, nutrition, self-care, and more to help boost your mental and physical well-being. I also love that I can take the same class as friends or connect with other members in the community comments. Allo Moves really brings people together. Lately, I have been very into the five-minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark Shifflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head-to-toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously, there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on allomoves.com, but I just had to share that one with you. Find yourself together when you join Allomoves. Join the community on allomoves.com today and use code FATMASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com code MASCARA20 for a 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Again, that's allomoves.com and the code is MASCARA20. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to Fat Mascara. I'm Jen Sullivan. It's Friday. It's Friday before Memorial Day here in the U.S., so a little housekeeping first. We're actually going to be taking off next week, a little summer break, but we'll be sharing two interviews with you with great new introductions, but there won't be a fresh episode of Jess and I doing the news until Wednesday, June 7th. But you can keep coming to the RSS feed. There'll be new podcasts for you. Everything will be great. And Jess is actually already away on a little break, so today I'm having more of an intimate chat with my guest, Elise Hu. We'll be talking about her new book, Flawless, Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K-Beauty Capital. And that just came out two days ago from the publisher Dutton. So listen, fam, when I read this book, I immediately reached out to Elise because I knew we had to have her on Fat Mascara. She takes a closer look at South Korea's beauty culture and kind of uses it as a lens to explore all sorts of topics we discuss here on Fat Mascara. Like I would turn the page, there would be another former guest on or another theme that's come up on our show. She talks about lookism, the effect of technology on beauty culture, feminism, plastic surgery, skincare, so much more. So I'll let Elise explain a little bit of how she started working on this book, but just to give you some background on what she's doing today, Elise, who is a correspondent and host at large for NPR, and she's the host of TED Talks Daily, the daily podcast from TED. Her work as a journalist has earned her the National DuPont Columbia, Edward R. Murrow, and Gracie Awards, along with the Gannett Foundation Award for Innovation in Watchdog Journalism. So I think you're going to love her take on how to approach today's beauty culture with some balance to make sure you're aware of all the larger forces that are sort of 
subtly shaping the way you think and I think we all think about our appearance and the products we buy. So here's Elise. Hi, Elise. Welcome to Fat Mascara. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. This is so much fun. I know we're going to talk about your book, Flawless, Lessons and Looks and Culture from the K-Beauty Capital. Mm -hmm. I love that you take a closer look at South Korea's beauty culture, use it as a lens to explore all sorts of stuff that we talk about here on Fat Mascara. Longtime listeners are going to be like, oh, this has come up before. They're going to love this. But before we get into that, so professionally, you're not exactly a beauty industry pro, are you? No, I was covering North Korean nuclear provocations (laughs) at the time that I was in Seoul. So my background is as an international correspondent. I was posted to Seoul in the beginning of 2015 and lived there nearly four years until the end of 2018 as NPR's founding Seoul bureau chief. So I was responsible for covering news, business, politics, economics, culture for North Korea, South Korea, and Japan. So not a small remit. No. And how did, how did the book idea even come up? I'm sure this was a huge job. Was Did you get the idea while you were there? What, yes. what sparked the interest in beauty? It was speaking to me in a few different ways. A lot of it was just experiential. When I first landed in Seoul, I happened to stay in Myeongdong, which was the makeup district, the makeup mecca, where it's just one skincare store after another, after another. And it's like trick or treat, but for beauty products. You know, there were store clerks out in the streets kind of yelling and trying to lure you to come in with snail mucin face masks and the latest serums and ampules and body scrubs. And I was really overwhelmed by just the market for beauty products and how much it got baked into the selling of Korean culture and as a lure for tourism. And that was my very first night there. And then also just existing in South Korea, I was kind of triggered because constantly strangers would make comments or feel like they could make comments about my appearance. For me, it's it's the freckles. You can see me, the Mm -hmm. listeners can't, but I have freckles. They just are there. They've always been there. And in Korea, they're frowned upon. They're not considered aesthetically pleasing. And you can just laser them off. You can get them removed. So there were lots of folks who were like, oh, we can fix that for you. Like, why wouldn't you fix that if you have that problem? Like apropos of nothing. Like, hi, stranger. (laughs) Can I fix your freckles? Yeah. Like, oh, we could could do something about that. And it's the same thing about size because thinness obviously is a major beauty pillar or a major beauty standard. And so I would be yelled at on the street from store clerks saying like, large size, large size, like trying to lure me in. (laughs) Like, hello, let's just point out my difference. (laughs) So I'm larger than the Korean default size. There's a default size in Korea called free size for the boutiques. And as I named a chapter, free size isn't free. Free size is the equivalent of a U.S. size 2 or a U.K. size 10 and or 8 or 10. I can't remember the U.K. equivalent, but a U.K. size or a U.S. size 2 is actually quite small. And, <laughs> and that's the only size clothes coming in like the fancy yes, boutiques. Yes, in many of the boutiques. And so and then even at the department stores that sell, that carry a lot of Western brands like Club Monaco. I like Club Monaco dresses when I have to be on TV, but the largest size of Club Monaco they would carry was four. And I wear an eight. And so so I was constantly, constantly reminded of my yeah. appearance not being the right thing. Like somehow I was not blemish-free enough or my skin wasn't light enough and my waist was too big or my legs were too long or whatever it was. So that was experiential. And then I happened to have two more daughters when I was in South Korea. So now I have a total of three daughters and not sons. And this is crucial because... There is such a gender disparity in in Mm -hmm. South Korea and girls, little girls get commented upon by their looks very, very young. So as young as three years old, my eldest daughter was being asked like, oh, are those eyelash extensions? So this logic of doing work to improve your appearance was normalized even for young people. And so I wasn't doing explicit reporting on this. I wasn't like, hey, let's do a deep dive into appearance-based discrimination or just a culture that really values appearance. I was just living it. 
And by the time I came back, I had covered 27 missile provocations, a Winter Olympics, a summit between the U.S. president and Kim Jong-un. I'd covered Japan so much that I had been to Japan 35 times. And in all of that, I never really took the lens and placed it and focused it on my experience as a woman and the bodily shame that it kicked up just to be in South Korea where the appearance standard is so specific and so strong. And so that's why it became a book project. It was best handled in a really comprehensive book. Yeah, because everybody has a personal experience. It's like, let me write a 300-page book about it with extensive footnotes. Totally, Elise. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe that's not so relatable, but I do happen to be a journalist. No, no, of course. No, you can, I can feel as I read it, you unpacking a lot of what happened to you there and trying to see it through a larger lens. Do you think the fact that you aren't Korean helped you at all? Did you ever worry about like exoticizing or other othering the culture there? Yeah. And I really want to be careful about that because, and I write about it in the beginning. So I tried to employ a practice called writing near, which is that I cannot speak for Korean women. I am not Korean. I am Taiwanese American. My father is Chinese, Chinese American, so I'm a mix. And I do know what it is and what it's like to occupy space as an Asian in Asia. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what it's like to be a Korean woman. So what I tried to do was really center their voices and their experiences and speak to hundreds of them. So ultimately, by the time my finished reporting for Flawless, I have spoken to hundreds of Korean women. They're not all in the book, but they range from ages 7 to 73. And so I hope that I did my best to capture them and their experience. And they're not monoliths either. They can't speak for everyone either. But their experience within the borders of their country and in the ways that they occupied space, I really tried to put primacy on. And have you have you gotten, have you had some of your Korean friends or the people that uh, you interviewed read it yet? How's their yes, response? Yes, yes. In fact, I had a great interview with a Korean Canadian who said that it's really interesting to hear feedback from everybody, but to hear feedback from folks who grew up with some of these experiences is yeah. especially rewarding for me because they'll pick okay. out things that are just so specific. Like she said, there's a scene in the book or a quote in the book from a woman who talked about how in the 70s and 80s, so before Korean beauty and Korean culture, K-drama, K-film, you know, all of that became cool, the coolness of Korea. Before that, when she went to go visit and she and her family went to go visit the peninsula and visit all of her family members that were in Korea from the U.S. So she was going from the U.S. to visit her family members in, in Korea and they would stuff their suitcases with Pond's cold cream and <laughs> peanut butter or macaroni and cheese and the things that were not easily accessible in South Korea. And that at the time, like Pond's cold cream was the thing to get. It was Western skincare products that were being muled over to South Korea. And now it's largely the other way around. Like I'm constantly asking folks to bring back my favorite sunscreens or my favorite green tea sleeping masks. So it was really fun to see that. But then also to a person when I talked with Koreans and Korean Americans or Korean Canadians, they they talk about when they were very young, they were asked whether they wanted the Sangapool, the double eyelid surgery, or their mothers or grandmothers would say, oh, you would look prettier if. So this yeah. is not necessarily just an Asian experience. It's in fact, after all of this reporting, one theme that emerges is that we're all a lot more alike than we are unalike. Korea yeah. happens to be a little bit in the future because it is such a visual and virtual culture that appearance becomes really paramount. And it maybe became more paramount than it became in the U.S. eventually, because this is a book about the mid-10s. And now so many of the things that I write about as true in Korea have just borne out. They've borne out in the U.S. and are, are normal for us now. But it ends up revealing that a lot of the lookism or just focus on appearance that is so prevalent that I found abroad is also true here. It's yeah. also true as I write the themes or, become from universal. Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't Absolutely. want anybody to think this book is like, yes, it was soul, but I think that you speak It's to just a jumping global. off point. Right, yeah. Totally. It's a jumping off point to explore a lot of major transnational systems. Can we talk about that? Something that fascinated me, anybody who listens to this podcast knows how big an influence K-beauty has had in American culture in the last 10 years. For sure. And 
And I thought, oh, you know, there were a couple entrepreneurs that came over and brought it or people who were traveling abroad. I did not realize that this didn't happen by chance. Like this was this was a strategic thing. Can you explain the concept of, I guess we could, the Hallyu concept. I know that's a yeah Chinese the Hallyu word, wave like, yeah yeah that, and explain how this is not happenstance that we all love K-pop now and we all use snail masks and some of it isn't top down because obviously governments aren't that great at marketing. <laughs> it can right, also be right. I don't want to give governments too much credit, but it was really deliberate. The Korean government took on a deliberate soft power strategy in the late 1990s after. The country went bankrupt and they had to seek a bailout from the International Monetary Fund and had to pay back billions and billions of dollars in a short amount of time. South Korea, by the late 1990s, was already a giant when it came to manufacturing and heavy industry and shipping. So we already knew of Kia cars and Hyundai cars and a lot of what Samsung was manufacturing, even though smartphones were just starting, I think, at the turn of the century. And South Korea is also barred through a agreement with the U.S. from making any major defense products. So it wasn't going to make any weaponry because Mm -hmm. it actually had to seek, it had to go through bureaucracy. It It actually has to seek approval from the U.S. government in order to get into a bunch of defense manufacturing. So a government report in the late 1990s suggested that if South Korea were able to produce a blockbuster on the scale of Jurassic Park, that it would equal in terms of revenue back to the country, the same as manufacturing a million Korean-made cars. This was very convincing to the administration at the time. So President Kim Jae-jung decided to take on this soft power strategy. And in international relations, there's hard power, so force, military, you know, national security matters. There's economic power, so economic sanctions or enticements or incentives. There's also soft power, which if you think about in the framework of parenting, it's just like being the cool parent, being so connected with your kid (laughs) or connected in your relationship that they want to come to you. They want to behave well. And so soft power is very powerful. And South South Korea decided, okay, we want to be attractive to the rest of the world. And one way we can do that is with our visual culture. So they began really investing in the film industry, the television dramas, K-dramas as we know them, in gaming, in animation, in art, in food, and trying to make that attractive to the rest of the world. K-drama was first, and a lot of like early K-film started going over to Japan and had crossover success in Japan. It then had crossover success in China, kind of took over the region, then spread to the rest of the world. By the time Psy hit, in the early 2010s with Gangnam Style, (laughs) K-pop was already huge in the rest of the world and in the Asia region. It just really marked a moment in the US where we were like, holy cow, this is a thing. And then the videos are so tight and the choreography is so good. And when you watch BTS today and watch BTS dance, it's like it makes in sync of the late 1990s. We used to think they were good dancers and they were (laughs) tight and their choreography was good. And it was just like, who are these clowns in sync? What? You know, so the level of execution of Korean cultural exports is just so much higher and so much better. And all of that visual transfer is a running advertisement for beautiful Koreans and images. And how do I get that look? And exactly, how do I get that look? But is it true there's still like, clearly, obviously, beauty products then came along as, as part of that. But like, do be, I, I read that beauty businesses get tax breaks for exporting. Like, this is good business to go into if you're a Korean entrepreneur. Like, export Absolutely. your stuff to America, right? Absolutely. Huge subsidies for any export business. So if you start a beauty brand and you make it export-focused, you can get huge tax breaks or pay zero taxes so long as you can show <laughs> that you are making your money from abroad. Thank you for the soft power. No taxes for you. The government (laughs) wants that, right? I'm not trying to make it seem nefarious. Like, this is what uh, all countries do this to some extent. State sponsored. Yeah, so is medical tourism. So, South Korea, when we talk about K beauty, I'm not just talking about cosmetics and skincare. I'm also Mm -hmm. talking about innovation, medical, biomedical innovation. I'm talking about tools like lights and wands and various therapies. 
I'm talking about diagnostic tools like skin analysis, which is coming out of Samsung. It's coming out of LG, these traditionally tech companies that are getting into the wellness and biomedical space. And so now South Korea boasts many, many, many other kinds of injectables that the FDA would not allow in the U.S. because the FDA process, the approval process can be so cumbersome in the U.S. So the, the injectable offerings in South Korea are far more innovative and diverse and just you have a much larger selection. And that's something that South Korea is known for and then wants to lure visitors and foreigners into the country to try. Sure. You're importing tourists, exporting products, all of that. Yeah. Elise, before you moved to Seoul, what kind of beauty consumer were you? Were you like very into makeup? I know you used to be a broadcast journalist, so you had to have like a face on. But what was your beauty vibe going into this job in 2014? I almost didn't participate in it at all, and largely because I rejected a lot of adornment and work on my body after I had my late 1990s, early 2000s eating disorder. So I worked as a model in the late 90s, which was the very heroin chic period, Mm -hmm. and when I was 16, 17 years old. So it was a really formative time to get thrown into an industry that cared a lot about not just skinniness, but like super, super skinniness. And so... During that period, I ended up restricting food so much. I think it was just like insane how much weight I dropped in a short amount of time. And then obviously it threw me into a lot of anxiety and depression. And then I had to stop doing it. And after months and months of therapy and and gaining my weight back, I decided just to reject. I left modeling, of course, but I also just decided to come to a place where I didn't focus on my appearance as much because it threw me into that spiral. And I thought, okay, well, I've already dealt with this. I I went from hobbled to healed. Great. This is not something that I really have to think about or suffer from anymore. And I'm 20 years old. And good thing I got this out of the way. (laughs) Bodily shame and angst. As only a 20-year-old would say. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Fast forward about 10, 12 years, I find myself in Korea. And instantly people are making comments about my appearance in the same way they did when I was a model and the central conceit of my job was to try and get hired based on my looks. But here I was just a journalist or a pregnant one just occupying space and existing in the world. And they were making the same things like, "Uh, do you want to do a slim wrap? You know? (laughs) And so it was triggering, honestly. Yeah. And it changed my relationship with beauty work in that I thought to myself, okay, I should probably do something about my skin. I should probably try all these products that are available oh, it's to such me. a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't realize it. I was just like, oh, this is so fun. And the thing about Korean beauty is that it's so attractive. It's really seductive. It's The products are cute. They're gentle on you for the most part. The packaging is really clever. And everybody's doing it right? Everybody's doing it. They're rolling out new ingredients and new formulations constantly. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And I don't want any listeners to think, gosh, I've written this polemic that's just like, oh, reject all beauty. I don't think that's true. I just think that we need to have an awareness of the forces that sort of work on us. And Mm -hmm. the worst thing to do would just be to go about life kind of passively consuming (laughs) or trying to fix ourselves without the awareness that a lot of these forces are working on. You mentioned some things that would be considered lookism, right? Like even just saying, hey, how about try a slim wrap that are subtle. But from the examples you gave, it can be explicit in South Korean culture, right? The the lookism, like the job listings. So passports come Photoshopped by default when you go and get a passport photo taken at any of the companies that will take photos for you. They're like immediately assume you're going to want your skin smoothed and your jawline slimmed down. Headshots were required on resumes just as a standard practice. Now some recent administrations have put a stop to that, at least for government jobs. So now for government jobs, they cannot require a headshot. But they do bring you in for an interview, so you can't really stop the lookism when you meet people in person. Your professional life really depends a lot on how, whether you have that clean look that is considered at least meeting the bar for the professional standard. And then your personal life really depends on it too, because your parents and your family are constantly like, oh, you're not going to do well on the marriage market. You won't get picked, was what one Korean mom said to her daughter. Like, you won't get picked if you don't lose weight. And there's myriad Korean matchmaking firms 
And those firms, because that's a way that people meet still instead of the apps. There are the apps also, but you can also go to a matchmaking agency and these matchmaking agencies have specs. So in the same way we use specs short for specifications for our devices or our tablets or computers, they use specs to describe people. And so a spec might be your bra cup size. It might be your height. It definitely is your weight. It's whether you possess a certain kind of cuteness. So they'll rank you on cuteness. They'll rank you on all sorts of other specs that are non-appearance. But appearance does make up a large classification of the specs. Sounds exhausting. I mean, I know that happens in the United States in subtler ways, but we like to pretend it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, we like to paper over the lookism in the U.S. and try to cloak it in things like body positivity, like, oh, you look Mm. great. Everyone looks great. But it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it doesn't exist. And in fact, they're both problematic. In South Korea, lookism is really embraced. And when I say lookism, I mean an appearance-based discrimination. So fat phobia is a form of lookism because it is based on an appearance standard of thinness. And I'm really glad that the U.S. has finally begun to have a pushback and a serious conversation about fat phobia just because how marginalizing it can be. But lookism as an umbrella for fat phobia and all the other phobias of our appearance needs to be taken more seriously. everyone is Jen. You know Jess and I often talk about how Aloe Moves helps us stay fit. But May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I really wanted to point out how amazing the site and app are for mental health as well. It is so easy for me to get stuck in a rut mentally or get stressed out or feel lonely when I'm working from home. I'm guessing you've all been there too. But I found that a much more productive way to deal with those feelings or even just like a bad day is to hop on alomoves.com and reset. Allo Moves is the award-winning on-demand streaming wellness platform app and website that has workouts, mindfulness, nutrition, self-care, and more to help boost your mental and physical well-being. I also love that I can take the same class as friends or connect with other members in the community comments. Allo Moves really brings people together. Lately, I have been very into the five-minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark Shifflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head-to-toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously, there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on alamoves.com, but I just had to share that one with you. Find yourself together when you join Alamoves. Join the community on alamoves.com today and use code FATMASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. That's alamoves.com code MASCARA20 for a 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Again, that's alamoves.com and the code is MASCARA20. Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Just kidding. It's really wedding season. But I just got an invitation to a wedding in Philadelphia, and guess what I'll be wearing? Honey love. I'm not sure about the rest of the outfit or the dress, but the shapewear is going to be honey love. Here's why. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating when you're wearing shapewear. Plus, they have lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off, and all their fabrics are breathable to keep you nice and cool, which is perfect for hot days. Let me tell you a story. I remember being at a wedding, this was a few years ago, pre-Honey Love, and I wore a jumpsuit, and I wasn't sure if the bathroom door locked well, but I had to take off the entire jumpsuit and then roll down the shapewear to pee, and I was like holding onto the back of the door at the same time, completely naked in the bathroom and it took so long and I caused this whole backup of the bathroom line and after that I was like never again until Honey Love came along Honey Love's superpower shorts have a 100% cotton gusset so you don't have to wear underwear underneath and there's a convenient opening in the underwear area so you don't have to take off the whole thing to go to the bathroom it's so easy Honey Love products make you look good and feel good whether it's for a wedding event an everyday boost of confidence Honey Love is the perfect plus one treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash mascara. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash mascara. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Honeylove.com slash mascara for 20% off. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honey Love. Honey Love. 
Listen, there are so many skincare products on the market claiming to help reduce fine lines and wrinkles, and you know I will try most of them. But how do you know your products are actually working? Some research to back up the claims. That's why Jess and I are all about Ritual. They created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted a clinical study to take the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual's Hyacera is now a part of my skincare routine, and I got in the habit of taking it every day by putting the cute little purple jar right next to my sunscreen. It looks nice on my vanity, and let's be honest, I love that. But once I stuck with the habit, I really noticed a difference in my skin. I am not the only one. In a clinical study, taking Hyacera for 90 days led to a 3.6 time reduction in crow's feet wrinkles as compared to placebo. And it led to a 2.9 increase in skin smoothness. I also like that they're easy to swallow. The capsules sort of taste like vanilla. They're not all weird and fishy like some other supplements. Plus, Ritual is a certified B Corp, something we learned about on a recent episode. And all their supplements, including the Daily Protein and their Sleep Bio Series Melatonin Supplement, are vegan, gluten-free, and made traceable. Do what Jess and I did. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mascara. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off. Yeah, at the same time, though, that we have had that reckoning a little bit, then all of a sudden technology took off like crazy. We got TikTok everywhere. More people than ever are on social media. And you talk a lot in this book about how technology or the embrace of technology is really part of the reason there that this beauty imperative, sometimes it's called, is so demanding. Can you yeah. like talk about how tech plays into this? It's a huge part of it. And it's, it's a huge part of why Korea is such an extreme beauty culture. Korea is one of the world's first truly wired nations. It invested in a national broadband infrastructure, something the U.S. still lacks, in the early 1990s. And so there is Wi-Fi everywhere. It was first to 5G before the rest of the world. You can go down deep into the bowels of the subway and be riding and never lose your streaming film or your streaming television show or your streaming game. You're just basically never disconnected. You're always connected and you're always in front of a screen. There's screens that wrap around buildings. There's screens that are on top of cabs. And that means that facilitates all sorts of transfer of images, not of just of other people that kind of show you the molds for how to look, but also of ourselves. Like we are taking more selfies. We are seeing ourselves in the course mm -hmm. of a day so much more than my mother did when she was my age or my grandmother when she was my age. And when we are presented with all these molds, all these examples through our algorithms of what people seem to like, we are taught what we are supposed to be. And then when we change ourselves or pose in the way or, you know, do our makeup in the way that then feed the algorithms with the copying of whatever these filters are showing us, you are adding to the problem. You're making copies of copies of copies. You're saying, good job, algorithm. You did it. Everybody exactly. wants to look like a Kardashian or whatever it is. Yeah. And so then we're fed back these filters that are now AI made with AI tools, bold glamour, which is the big TikTok filter of the spring. It came out just in February. It's now May. It's been downloaded 60 million times or it's been used 60 million times. And it is the filter that instantly slims your jawline, plumps up your lips, shimmers your eyelids, arches your eyebrows, gives you kind of a Jessica Rabbit meets Kim Kardashian meets Gigi Hadid look. And then all while never glitching when you wave your hand in front of it, it doesn't kind of separate as other fil face filters did back when Snapchat first yeah. came out with them. This is on TikTok. And it is said to be an AI tool that made it. So a form of AI called GANs, Generative Adversarial Networks is what it stands for. And AI learns from the data we give it. AI is yeah. ever is only ever as good as the data we feed it. And so we are feeding them our norms or what our expectations of what beauty is. But we are learning those expectations from media. We are learning from watching K-pop stars. We are learning from watching the Kardashians or whatever they're doing. And it yeah. keeps us on this hamster wheel, especially when these standards are more and more cyborgian 
and out of reach. Like you have to do so much and be so rich to be able to achieve what the Kardashian sisters can achieve. Yeah. And there's been a backlash to bold glamour, like opting out or like campaigns against it. But this it's not always a choice. This is what I like to point out to people. Like sometimes this happens automatically. You had an ethicist, Tristan Harris, I think was their Mm -hmm. name. And talking about how even when you go on TikTok, you might not realize this, but even the regular camera has a very subtle, like you said about the passport One to three percent. One to three percent, they'll do, do the Do you guys BFI. know that? I did not realize that. Like, default, I thought it was true because you can turn it off, but it's the automatic is the one to three percent. Oh, I like using TikTok because I look so much cuter on TikTok than Instagram Reels. Why is that? <laughs> and know? crucially, like, we should pay attention to what does one to three percent more beautiful look like? Like, what standards are baked in? And who decided? That? Yeah, exactly. And it tends to be smoothing your skin. So right. it's towards that beauty pillar of smoothness. It tends to be slimming down your jaw a little bit. So going for the thinness standard. For women, it tends to sort of emphasize more feminine features on your face. And Mm -hmm. we have to remember that when they are like beautifying by one to three percent or on Zoom, you can tone up your appearance. Like what exactly is happening when you slide that bar to tone up your appearance? Those are technologically determined or they are determined in programming, programmatically determined because some programmer took the baked-in beauty ideals that we sort of accept as norms and made that what Zoom makes possible, right? Or to bake that into what Zoom makes possible. It's really important to think about it and to challenge it because it marginalizes people who don't fit in. Absolutely. And you have three daughters, so I'm sure this is a huge concern for you as they get older. But also in your book, you were talking about, so it's not just the filters, it's not technology. Just the use of makeup in general in South Korea is expected. I could not believe this, that two in five elementary school girls wear makeup in South Korea, according to the survey that you cited. How do you feel about that? Do your daughters wear makeup? Do you have an age limit? This is something Jess and I always (laughs) talk about. Like, what age do you let them start? But it sounds like in South Korea, it's like, no, the moms are like, oh, you're six now. It's time for lip gloss or whatever. I'm generalizing. Yes, yes, yes. I think that the influence really comes from YouTube and online culture, right? And then <laughs> when when packaging of products is so childlike and so cute, oh, yeah. you're already luring younger and younger populations into it because it's like, oh, this is for me. Like you assume that it's for you. My eldest daughter is in fourth grade. She loves skincare products already. This is not because of my influence. I mean, hello, her mother also, has no written this book. Greater needs skincare, maybe some sunscreen. So the reason why she's into it, though, is because the influence of her peers, her yeah. friends in dance, and also what she sees on YouTube, and the fact that she is marketed to by the skincare line that she likes is Florence by Mills, which is Millie Bobby Brown's skincare company. Millie Bobby Brown, the star, the child star turned now adult from Stranger Things. And so she was essentially like a teen influencer and she's made a line that is for teens, supposedly. And so, of course, my prepubescent teen is aspirationally a teenager and she's lured into it. So there is this huge marketing matrix and a drive to increase the market and to reach into younger and younger populations. So the best I can do is sort of teach by modeling, offer that my relationship with my body is one that celebrates what it can do and what it can feel and not necessarily what it looks like. Because I think that I didn't necessarily have that modeled by my mom. Like my mom would weigh herself in the kitchen a lot. And I think it was for convenience, but also what the effect it had on me was- She kept the scale in the kitchen? Yeah. And I just recently had this memory, right? Like I had a breakthrough. I was like, wait, that wasn't right. But the effect, now that I think about it, was that I was constantly seeing her weigh herself. And you were equating food with not as nutrition, but as this thing that makes the number go up. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. And so modeling is so important. My mother never explicitly told me anything about weight or dieting, really. And she always thought I was beautiful or said that I was beautiful at any size. But then she did this. She had these practices that I saw. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we all, if we don't want to perpetuate a really prevalent beauty culture, we have to examine ourselves and the own ways that we act towards our bodies and 
how we regard them, the comments that we make about ourselves, the judgments that we make about others and their looks, and tamp that down. We really need to take the volume down because the children are watching. Yeah. You could do that personally, but in South Korea, I know it became sort of a cultural movement when Escape the Corset happened. Were yes. you there? Were you there when that movement kind of took hold? Oh, you I were? Was. Okay. Yes. So can you tell us about that? Like, is it, what's going on with that lately? Because there was some pushback from South Korean women, right? Yes. So Escape the Corset is awesome. The Korean feminists really rose up in 2018, my last year in Seoul. And it's a hashtag movement that grew out of Me Too because Me Too was global. And so Me Too hit in the end of 2017. A lot of powerful South Korean men ended up losing their positions of authority as a result of women speaking out about their sexual assaults and or being victimized by sexual assault and harassment. Then it really broadened to all of these norms for how women are expected to not just look, but also behave. So it broadened into this movement called Escape the Corset, or hashtag Escape the Corset. And women all over, an estimated 300,000 women, would go online and cut their hair short, or buzz it off, or they would take photos of their makeup compacts and that were crushed or in the trash to exemplify that they were discarding the corset, like these really strict boundaries and requ requirements for how they were supposed to look as a symbol for the requirements for how they were supposed to act, too. Yeah. So many people took part in it. You now have lots of women, especially college-aged women, who are still walking around without any sort of adornment, like haircut short, baggy clothing, sort of looking gender neutral because femininity is such a major standard of beauty that if you reject femininity, you are taking a stand. But they paid a huge price. A lot of Korean women who participated ended up losing their jobs or getting uninvited to family gatherings. They, some were even reportedly victims of attacks because they didn't look the part of a Korean woman. And the result today is it's fanned this massive gender war. And it's not just about escape the courts. There's all sorts of feminist causes and movements. But Korean women are getting scapegoated for speaking up for themselves, like that they are keeping the country back, that they are, the they are considered radical just for identifying as feminists. Something like a huge majority of Korean men said that they would not date a woman if she identified as feminist. So the gender war is really extreme. South Korea's huge cultural juggernaut in K-pop, K-drama, and coolness. And the fact that it's become one of the top 10 economies in the world masks a major gender inequality problem. Yeah. Lowest female labor participation rate in the developed world, largest gender pay gap in the developed world, lowest percentage of females in leadership positions in the developed world. So it's something we really have to pay attention to. And one of the reasons this issue is so baked into flawless is because I think it's all connected, mm -hmm. that we shouldn't ignore the power of appearance requirements and the fact that we have to do the labor to keep up with appearance requirements as separate from the fight for global justice. Right. And you, well, so you could listen to everything you just said and escape the corset and think now we're at this binary point where like, you, it's either all or none. You're in on all the beauty imperative and the body work that you need to do, or you're a radical feminist and you yeah, reject it. Yeah. And I know you ended, you sort of came to this place, I felt you like learning as we go through the book with you, of like somewhere in the middle, right? Because you at one point go back to Korea to get, I forget what procedure, you got some Botox Yeah, I was trying something? some various things. I was trying skin Botox, which is oh, like the micro-injections yes, micro of Botox. So you you landed somewhere in the middle. How are, how are you handling this now when you look at a new beauty procedure that just came out or somebody that maybe looks gorgeous and I don't know, it brings up thoughts of the 1990s in your modeling career. What do you do to kind of make peace with this? Because we all have to go through the world somewhere in between. I still want to have some nail polish. You know, I love it for the artistic value. Of course. I think that we really have to ask ourselves. Where I landed was I got a lot of, I learned a lot, right, from the reporting process. And you get to go on the journey if you read the book with me. And mm -hmm. I learned a lot from the Korean feminists, the Escape the Corset movement. I also learned a lot from the ajumas, which are, which is the term for Can we talk Korean about women. Elizabeth? They're aunties. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I tell people about Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Yes. I have yes. to tell you, 
This was there was this point in the book where I was like, oh, I had my aha breakthrough moment. So you're talking to the 73-year-old woman, Elizabeth, and she was born in Korea, but she's American. And she talks about how she did her hair makeup, whatever. And she's like, she just says to you, like, well, you know, because it wasn't like I was pretty, I was ugly. And this is what you write. I'm just gonna read a little something if that's okay. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. This is a quote. You said, I had a knee-jerk instinct to reassure her that of course she's pretty, but I stopped myself because her friends did not chime in to rebut Elizabeth. I realized my instinct to praise her appearance said more about my discomfort than Elizabeth's discomfort. That over time I've learned to link physical attractiveness with a person's worth and the absence of it as lack. Oh my God, Elise. I would never have said explicitly that I la- that I link people's worth with their looks ever. Like looks don't matter. But I would have done the same thing. I'd be like, oh, you're pretty, without even thinking about it. Why? Because our adherence to beauty culture is so familiar that we barely notice it at all. I wouldn't have noticed. I just would have thought that's oh, you reassure someone that they're pretty. They're not telling you they're upset that they're not pretty. You're assuming. Yeah. No, she was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you're She's assuming fine. that's what somebody wants because it's so baked into what you're supposed to want. And she is such an example of an aspirational model of being confident in our bodies and in our faces as they are and remembering that our sense of self doesn't just come from the outside. So my takeaway is that we really have to work on self-reflection confront the fact that this exists. So just an awareness is the first step. Right. But then the next step is interrogation. Like where does beauty culture sort of work in me? Where are my sort of scripts, my automatic scripts showing up? I didn't even notice, for example, until I had that exchange with Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And you didn't even notice until you read about my exchange with Elizabeth. And so this interrogation is really important. And after the interrogation, then we can begin to remap and see beauty refracted in far more diverse ways. So one thing, another one of the Ajuma says to me is, we're different, be different. And if we think about beauty in nature, let's think about beauty in dog breeds, for example, or like when you go to a pet adoption place and you see all sorts of different dogs, you're never like, oh, well, this dog is more worthy of taking home than this other one because... Right? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I have the ugly dog. So I 100% know, and I think he's yeah. beautiful. I have a hairless little exactly. mutt that nobody wanted. Yeah, your sense of what's beautiful is yours, Jen. It's unique to you. My sense of what's beautiful yeah. is unique to me. Let's do that Except with what marketing and what industry does is it says, oh, we should all want the exact same thing, that only this is beautiful. But if you think about like beauty in nature as it exists, First of all, it's not just appearance. Like beauty is often spiritual. It's far more nuanced. It's character based. It's something deeply intrinsic and not surface level. So there's that. But also, if you think about just how we judge our preferences, naturally, they're far more wide ranging and diverse (laughs) than just what a filter shows us or just what a K-pop star is. And so we kind of lean into that, lean into what you really find attractive. And that may not necessarily be what the reigning filters are. And then obviously the way the, the sort of societal wish that I have is to be able to opt out of beauty work and aesthetic labor without it exacting a cost. So right now you have the Escape the Corset women who are participating in what's essentially a strike, like a general strike against appearance labor. And the point of the strike is to try and move the needle so that they they can appear however they want to appear. Like it's not nothing at all, but where we want to land is I choose to either wear my hair short or wear it long. I choose to have a, you know, wear a larger size, a size larger than two. I choose to either wear high heels or not. I choose to wear pants or a skirt. Like you want to actually win the liberation such that we can have a choice. And right now they're living in a system that (laughs) one hiring firm had 20 requirements from head to toe of how a woman should look when they show up at work. And then the only requirement for a man was no mismatched suits. (laughs) So what progress would look like to me is being able to opt out or to participate. But having it be your choice. But having it to be, yeah, without it being like a regime. Yeah. You even say there's a point like just I'm thinking about like when your Instagram feed gives you a new mask and you're like, I need it. Or, you know, you see someone who got lip filler (laughs) and you're like, I want lip filler. And you you have these questions that you sort of were like 
I don't know if you do this yourself or telling people to do this, but ask, is this going to be ego-driven or soul-driven, like if I do this? Yeah, one really good test. Yes, that's what I do for myself, too. There are times, and this happens with fashion, too, and increasingly, how we change our skin and bodies is becoming like fashion where there are trends. It's like there's face trends, there's body trends, and we're treating our bodies like the tissue and muscle of our bodies as malleable in the way that clothing is. And I think that's really dangerous, obviously, for the risks to our bodies, but also societally because of the marginalization and the requirement that it costs so much money and time that it you're widening. Yeah, you don't just have the wrong sneakers. Now you don't have the right microbladed eyebrows. Like it's exactly. a... It's really exhausting. So just to bring back to the test that I kind of give myself now, I ask myself, does this product procedure, this treatment that I'm doing, does it feel like a greater step or deeper step into myself and my soul Or does it feel tantamount to a costume? Does it feel like I'm doing it because I'm scared of the judgment of other people? Or am I doing it because I'm scared that I won't fit in or that I'll be judged if I don't do it? So Botox is a really great example. I have a lot of girlfriends. Now I'm 40. And so I have a lot of girlfriends who have begun Botox or are considering beginning it. And they're saying it they're often influenced because their group of friends, like the other moms, are also getting mm-hmm. Botox. So it's sort of like, ah, I don't want to be the one that doesn't get it. And so that, I think, is an ego-driven choice. Right. That's an example of an ego-driven choice and not a soul-driven choice. Whereas a soul-driven choice for me is going to get a facial from K-Town, one of the Ajumas in Koreatown, because I feel really nurtured and loved like by the touch of her hands on my skin and the face and neck massage. And for me, it's like an opportunity to just take a little time, take a moment and really be in my body and be sensual and enjoy how it feels from the inside out rather than the outside in. And that feels like something I, I can continue so long as I have the privilege of being able to afford it. Now, for various people, the I mean, for, for other people, these choices might fall in different places along the I was just thinking axis. about my Botox, ego-driven, soul-driven choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and for trans women, there's plenty of trans women who I talked to who said, like, yeah. I, had to get, I had to get facial feminization surgery because it was a matter of being safe in my body. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really about being bodily autonomy and safety, too. So granted, even being able to make this decision and this calculation is because I already appear okay enough as a Mm -hmm, cisgendered mm -hmm. woman in the world. But that's not true for everyone. So this is not like a blanket No, if you can't get a job because you have acne and it's really holding back your career, like, yeah, you're going to want to go get some- Then of course you have to make a choice. (laughs) So you can make money. Like that's how our- Yeah. Yeah. But at least stopping to think about it and know that you're making a choice, not just falling into it. Yes, yes. And I don't ever hate on the player. I hate the game. It's the system, right? It's really the system that that needs to be dismantled. So, okay, you made the choice. You're still getting facials. I have to ask. I mean, it's fat mascara as we wrap this up. Yeah. Like, what are you still opting in on? Like, what still makes you feel good beauty-wise? I love going to get manicures with my daughters. So something that feels really bonding is yeah. when my one of my daughters and I will do one-on-one time because there's so many of them and I really have to kind of connect one-on-one in order for them You're three kids. <laughs> to get it's enough of three mom. Kids. There's yeah. so many of them. I thought you were talking about their fingers. Well, between them, there's 30 fingers and we got to paint them all. <laughs> no, there's three kids. Yes. Okay. No, it's a lot. And so we'll do mom and daughter one-on-one time and That's we'll go sweet. get manicures side by side and chat. And then we'll talk about designs. And I think that you can you can work creativity into that. Like my, my youngest daughter comes up with different designs that she wants on her nails. She'll go from smiley faces last time to this this most recent time. She, she wanted watermelons. Yeah, there's like an art and creative aspect to beauty that like I don't want to minimize either. Yeah. And I really celebrate. And so that's something that I still do. There's some K-beauty products that I still swear by, like the Innisfree green tea sleeping mask that I will wear on long flights on the plane. And then I come off the plane and I feel so moisturized. I'm not saying that your skin really needs it. I'm just saying that I enjoy it. (laughs) Feels good. And the way that Korea really, exactly. The way that Korea really changed me in terms of my 
beauty practices is now I am militant about sunscreen. <laughs> militant about it. I did not wear it regularly for the first 32 to 35 years of my life. And now I will not leave the house without it. Sometimes I do the full-on visor, the face oh, shield yeah. and everything to try and protect myself from sun damage. And I have to. I live in Los Angeles. There's a lot Wait, of what stuff. sunscreen do you use? I use the Misha Sun Milk SPF 50. It's very lightweight. You can get it here in the States. You can now. Misha is one of the Korean beauty brands that I write about, actually. It's one of the first road shops or storefronts that only sold one brand's product. Okay. Before I let you go, this has been fascinating. Also, you guys, the book, I'm telling you, every page you'll turn, you'll be like, oh yeah, that. It's like something that comes up on this podcast. Before I let you go, though, we do this Fat Mascara 5. It's your like speed round. doesn't have to be super speedy. Oh my gosh. This makes me so nervous. Oh no, it's going to be fine. Okay. What's the most interesting or fascinating beauty treatment you learned about while you were in Korea where you were like, what? They do what? Botox for the traps and legs. Your trap muscles on your neck? Yes. Your trap is... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what are they called? Trapezius muscles? I don't yes. I don't know. I was just helping us out with so, anatomy. Why? Yes. Did we get so the Botox? idea is... I know. Listeners, please help, please help us out with basic anatomy. It's the muscles at the base of your neck. I think they're called the trapezius. Yeah, yeah, tra- we yeah. call them traps, right? Traps, when we're yeah. working out. Yes. So they will, that is the second most popular place to inject neurotoxins because they want to relax that muscle in order to elongate the appearance of your neck. And the third most popular region are the calves to make your calves skinnier, your legs skinnier to elongate the appearance of your legs. Uh, we could get into the K-pop stars with the calf. That chapter was fascinating, like the calf requirements. The weaponization for- of legs, yes. yes. All right, well, I'll save that for everybody so they can read the book. Okay, next, what Korean product, this does not have to be a beauty product, but anything, do you miss the most now that you're in the United States that you can't get here? Oh, it's a meal. What is it's it? It's something called Doc Hanmari. Okay. <laughs> and it's a giant chicken in a cauldron of salty broth. It is so yummy. And you can't get that in K-Town or something? You can't, I can't find it in K-Town. I cannot oh, get Duck Marie in K-Town, and it drives me crazy. It's so good. I always went to this one restaurant down an alley. You had to walk past all the mackerel salesmen. So so there, it smelled like fish. <laughs> I remember the first time I got in, got instructions to go there, like or, or directions to go there, they said, okay, you have to walk past a very fishy-smelling alley. <laughs> And then it will open up and then you will see Grandma Jean Oak's number one Doc Hanmari, which is the name of the restaurant. And I always make a pilgrimage as soon as I get off the plane when I return to Seoul to Grandma Jean Oak's place. It's called Doc Hanmari. It is chicken in a cauldron, salty cauldron. What's your most favorite indulgent snack here now this minute? My indulgent snack? Yeah. So not a whole chicken in a cauldron. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> You're like the chicken in the cauldron, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no, what's your favorite snack? Can it be a boba tea? Of course it can. What's your boba order? My boba, I generally get a classic milk tea or a brown sugar milk, but with giant bobas. And oh, there was a run on boba during COVID when I was writing my book. And so you'll notice in the acknowledgments of Flawless, if you get it, that I actually acknowledge the boba milk tea popsicles because they are now made into popsicles. And I was eating a lot of those pops just to get through the writing of this very terse (laughs) book. All right. If someone made a biopic of your life, okay, the world traveling, award-winning journalist, who would play you? Constance Wu. Okay. It's always Constance Wu, right? Like she's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, what do you need to get your beauty sleep? Like what gives you a good night's sleep? No alcohol. Now I'm finding, now that I'm older, I'm finding that I cannot drink too much before I go to bed because otherwise it will ruin my beauty sleep. But usually a good workout. The answer is a good workout. Like if I go for a good run that day or I do strength training pretty hard, I will get a much better night's sleep. I mean, that's probably very healthy of you. Elise, this has been so fun. Thanks for sharing your experiences with us and your book. And this has been great. Thank you for the insightful questions and the careful read. I'm just having so much fun. The whole, the best part of this entire book process is just being able to talk about it instead of being alone in my room. She's out there. Like, yeah, you can share it with people now. Well, thanks for sharing it with us. The eerie looking lady on the cover. She's out there now. (laughs) Thank you, Elise. Thanks, Jen. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. 
We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at Fat Mascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Listen, there are so many skincare products on the market claiming to help reduce fine lines and wrinkles, and you know I will try most of them. But how do you know your products are actually working? Some research to back up the claims. That's why Jess and I are all about Ritual. They created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted a clinical study to take the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual's Hyacera is now a part of my skincare routine, and I got in the habit of taking it every day by putting the cute little purple jar right next to my sunscreen. It looks nice on my vanity, and let's be honest, I love that. But once I stuck with the habit, I really noticed a difference in my skin. I am not the only one. In a clinical study, taking Hyacera for 90 days led to a 3.6 time reduction in crow's feet wrinkles as compared to placebo. And it led to a 2.9 increase in skin smoothness. I also like that they're easy to swallow. The capsules sort of taste like vanilla. They're not all weird and fishy like some other supplements. Plus, Ritual is a certified B Corp, something we learned about on a recent episode. And all their supplements, including the Daily Protein and their Sleep Bio Series Melatonin Supplement, are vegan, gluten-free, and made traceable. Do what Jess and I did. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mascara. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 